right, everybody, let's go ahead and start. This is week three. Uh, uh, school's out. The 20 of us that are here will, will accomplish great things. We're continuing to kind of unpack this idea of using the magic word, which is tied into the blessing, and, and, and talking about how God uh, will take us, and if we'll learn to do it well, will take us into tomorrow. Um, this, uh, for me, and most of you know I journal a lot. I, I, sometimes I write. I will share with you what's in those journals. And for me, it's always a big deal when I start a new journal. I don't know why. It's a spiritual thing. You know, I start a new journal, and it's always an exciting time. I, there's no time frame. I mean, it's just whenever the other one's full, start another one. I mean, that's the way it works. I will um, I cycle them. I will hold then the journal that I just finished and carry around with me in my bag along with the new journal, and then that gets rotated out. So I've rotated one out. It's now on the shelf somewhere. It's tucked away in there. There's no order to them. Um, I just throw them on the shelf. One day I'll wish I would have gone back and put them in order. But what I do when I start a new journal, because it's a blank page, is I, I basically take an inventory of kind of where I am or what's going on in my world and then write down some basically kickoff statements for the journal. I don't know why. I just Somebody told me to do that one time, so that's what I do. Um, I'd love to say there's some great methodology to it. Usually they have to deal with leadership. Um, and, and, and leading here. And so this is where my journal ended up. Um, four statements. The first one is this. The bar or standard that I set for myself will always be higher than what others will set for me. So in my life, I want to make sure I'm setting the bar higher than anything you expect of me. Um, I want, yeah, good luck. Well, um, and some people don't even know what a bar is, um, or some do know what a bar is, and that's a different problem. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know, yes. Um, the second one was helping, leading, and blessing people is more important than making them happy. Now, the one that throws you on that is blessing people, because blessing ought to make you happy until you read in the Bible that there's suffering, or there's a blessing in suffering. That doesn't make me happy but the blessing is still good. And sometimes you have to walk people through the suffering moments. And that's important. That's, that's, that's where, where I think we do the best work. Um, my third one is one that I tend to put in there a lot. Uh, I will strive to be present in the present um, because a lot of times I'm not. I will get busy thinking about other things and... I get lost sometimes by not being in the moment that I can need to be, and so that can be a problem for me. And then the last one is where we take off tonight. Um, live to be a giver, not a taker. Live to be a giver, not a taker. And, of course, here is Sunday. I talked a little bit about that. Um, that's where we pick up um, tonight. Uh, we had talked as we were wrapping up last week, if I'm remembering correctly, um, that uh, we were looking at what we say, how we say it. Um, we talked a little bit about being a giver and taker last week. I said to you, we talk about that Sunday, and we come back to it again tonight, because that really does say a lot about our life. Um, there are givers and there are takers. And in our life, we have to decide whether you're a giver or a taker. And so the question is, how do you know? How do you know whether you're really a giver or whether you're really a taker? Um, I mean, I, 
I think one of the ways to do it, and I hate to do this, but I think one of the ways that we do that is through our use of pronouns. <laughs> and pronouns in our culture is a big deal. Um, but pronouns um, and articles and prepositions, they account for one-tenth of one percent of our vocabulary. But they make up 60% of what we say. So for all you folks that keep those kind of notes... Um, pronouns are little words, but they have great power. And takers, as I said Sunday, tend to be self-absorbed. And so takers tend to use first-person singular pronouns like I, me, my, mine, and myself, as opposed to pronouns like we, us, our, ours, ourselves. And in a study of CEOs that was recently done, um, who are extreme takers, um, the bulk of the pronouns they used were all singular. I, me, my, my, myself. That's what drives them. There's a fascinating branch of psychology that analyzes word usage to gain um, psychological insight. Professor James Pennybaker created a software program called, and I want to get it right, Linguistic Inquiry and Word Count. And it's been used to analyze everything from the lyrics of songs to a terrorist correspondence. The FBI asked him to study Al-Qaeda communications a few years ago, letters, videos, and interviews. They discovered that Osama bin Laden's use of personal pronouns like I, me, and mine stayed very close to the baseline of the average of any other person. But they saw a dramatic spike in the pronouns that were used by the second in command, Aman al-Zawahiri. Their conclusion was that he was insecure, he was feeling threatened, he had had a shift in his relationship with bin Laden, and as a result was just as dangerous or more dangerous than Osama bin Laden. Simply because of what they heard him say and what they could track down what he was saying. In the world of politics, there are two primary, two primary ways to rally your troops. First, you focus on your common enemy, and that approach can be effective, or you celebrate the common humanity. In other words, you look for the ways that you kind of find that common ground. Of the two, the most successful or the most God-centered would be to focus on the common humanity. Givers, by nature are focused on the humanity of others. Uh, they focus on the we as opposed to the I. And in your life, you can take a look at what drives you, believe it or not, by listening to yourself talk. Do you spend more time talking about I, me, my, myself? Or do you spend your time worrying about ours and we? And you think of collective humanity as opposed to the selfish self. And you say, well, but life just doesn't always lend itself to that. Who said? See, go back to the passage we were just talking about. And you were talk just talking about it in Matthew 10, where Jesus says, as he sends them out, um, as you've been freely given, freely give. And we, you guys were just analyzing that. 
And they were good, those were good conversations. If you break it down and go back and look at what was going on, Jesus was sending them out, as you know, and we talked about, and he would get rattled off a list of stuff that was absolutely impossible for them to do. But yet, his command was, go and do these things. So if you read that, if you analyze that correctly, the passage begins with Jesus basically giving them a set of marching orders to do something that they could not do. So the question is, how are they going to do it? Well, you know the answer, right? We all know the answer. They were going to introduce the X factor in their life, which is Jesus. But this is before the Holy Spirit. So you have to at least consider the possibility that in in that blessing that Jesus gave them to go, somewhere woven into that blessing was some type of spirit enablement that they did not have, that they did not possess, because it just didn't happen. Now, we don't know that. I mean, as, as we were talking over here, I mean, there's obviously conversations that didn't take place in the Bible, but there's something, there was something that they were able to tap into in that moment that they were never able to tap into in their entire lives prior to that, which is why they were so, we can't do that, which is why they had that moment of, we're in over our heads here. Absolutely true. Because they were commanded to do something they couldn't do. But the one who did the commanding was certainly able to do all of those things. So where were they going to get the strength to do it? Well, obviously, they would have to get it from him, but he wasn't going with them physically. So there, there is, regardless of how you interpret Scripture, there is an injection somehow of the Holy Spirit into their world in a way that they could access that at some point. We don't know how. Don't know all the details. That's left for some discussion when you get to heaven. Okay. Jesus wraps it up with this whole thing. Well, and freely you've been given. Freely give. Take nothing with you. And so you take inventory. So here these guys are going out to do something that they know they can't do. They're taking nothing with them. And they've been instructed to give to others just as they have been given, uh, to be able to do things that they've never been able to do before, but all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, they freely have been given the power to do that. And so they're getting ready to go and operate outside the realm of what they have ever done before, and they're going to operate outside the realm of what they're capable of on their own. Now think about that for a minute. And then think about your life. How many times in your life have you done something that without the presence of God in your life, you just couldn't have done? How many times has God intervened in your world and given you exactly what you needed in any given moment to do the thing that you just couldn't do without him? And he gives that to us and he gives that to us freely with the understanding that this is what you need in the moment. And then he comes back and if you go back to the passage... You know, and, and as I have given you these things, so don't be afraid then to freely give and share what you've been given. It's not for you to hoard. It's not for you to hold on to. It is for you to give. 
The disciples on their very first mission were told to do basically two things. Lead with the blessing, and we talked about that Sunday, and give. And so in their very first ministry event, in their very first mission effort, in their very first being the church, without Jesus physically standing next to them that they could reach back and touch him, they were told to do two things, to bless and to give. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a rocket scientist. I'm just a lowly preacher that, you know, travels the world with my little backpack and my Bible, and I go from town to town, and I share my message, and I take whatever bartering they'll give me, and I go to another town and speak. I'm not the smartest guy in the world. But I do have this uncanny knack of not missing the obvious. If I'm going to get it right to be a follower and disciple of Jesus, stay with me here. Maybe, just maybe, shouldn't I do what he told the disciples to do? Because I have the ability to bless and give. I mean, disciples had nothing. I'm not independently wealthy. So, I mean, there's not a day that I get up that if I see my role correctly, I can't bless and give. And then, of course, that, that part that we actually did focus on for a couple minutes. And if some moron doesn't want you to bless them, shake the dust off your feet and go on. There's somebody else. It's not your responsibility to worry about how people receive the blessing. That's not my job. What's my job? To bless and to give. And so we come back to, again to the moment where we look at the passage. Jesus says, freely give. And so the question is, are you a giver or are you a taker? And in our world, we have to decide how it is that we're going to live our life um, and so the difference would be, it's the difference is, are you a me person or a we person? You know, we, we said that Sunday morning. Uh, self-centered. Um, if, if you're a leader, self-centered leaders that I know always like to take the credit, and they always shift the blame. <laughs> self-centered leaders always do that. And everybody knows one or two or ten. Leaders who focus on others are willing to give credit and are also not afraid to step in and let the buck stop with them. Harry Truman once said, it's amazing what you can accomplish if you don't care who gets credit. And it's true. Go to 1 Samuel 14. King Saul is an excellent study in insecurity. (laughs) Um... Saul is a guy who looked the part of the king. He wore the crown of a king. And God made him a king. So he deserved to be king. God made him a king. The reasons behind God making him a king are a little bit, you know, uh, less less than happy as a story. But Saul is a king. So at that moment, it becomes up to Saul to live up to the opportunity that he has. An opportunity, potential, a gift from God. What you do with that opportunity and potential, your gift back to God. Saul has 
the crown. He's the king. Um, at the outset of his administration, he experienced a measure of success, and it went well. His response is interesting. Somebody read 1 Samuel 14, verse 35 to us. And Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first altar that he built to the Lord. Man, that's how Saul responded to the early success that he had. Saul built an altar to the Lord. So far, so God. Good news. Saul was giving credit where credit was due. Saul was successful. He saw it came from God. He gave him credit. Less than one chapter later, though, we read this. 1 Samuel 15, 12. Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told, and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. That's less than one chapter later. <laughs> chapter fourteen, he builds a monument to God. A chapter later, he builds a monument to himself. Saul has a problem. They are two defining moments, but they reveal a tragic flaw in Saul's character. If you find your identity in Christ or in God and who he calls you to be, you spend your time building altars to God. If you spend your time trying to prove yourself to people, trying to get their attention, trying to be seen, trying to climb, trying to be somebody, what do you do? You build a monument to yourself. Remember in the Bible, Nebuchadnezzar? How high was the monument he built? Anybody remember? Really high. <laughs> really high. Really high. Correct answer. Good answer. It was 90 feet. 90 feet tall, built a statue to himself, and demanded people bow down before it. Who does that? Well, someone who's compensating for an awful lot of insecurity. Um, the question is, are you building monuments to God? Or are you building monuments to yourself? During the days that King Saul was king, the Israelites sang a song that got Saul's goat. And that's not the greatest of all time, but they were singing about one of the greatest of all time. They used to sing, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Um, every time that song, song played on Spotify, it provoked a spirit of jealousy in Saul. Um, they credit David with being a warrior who's killed tens of thousands. They only credit me with killing thousands. And Saul came to the conclusion, next they'll be making him their king. And so the Bible says, and from that point on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Let me define jealousy for you because jealousy will always, always mess you up. Jealousy is the trophy that mediocrity gives to excellence. Jealousy is the trophy that mediocrity gives to excellence. So in other words, when you are mediocre in what you do and you see someone do something excellent, you reward that excellence by being jealous. That's the trophy you give 
to excellence. And jealousy is not healthy. And jealousy will make you crazy. And you've got to learn to overcome jealousy. And all of us have moments, I know, when we get jealous. I heard about someone who decided that um, if they were going to deal with jealousy in their life, they had to do the opposite of what they felt. And so when they would feel jealous towards someone, they would brag about that someone behind their back. (laughs) They said it helped. And then they would learn to compliment them to their face. I don't know if that works or not, but here's what I do know to be true. Unless you can celebrate someone else's success, you aren't ready or fit to experience success yourself. Unless you can celebrate someone else's success, you're not ready or fit to experience success success yourself. The irony of the story is that David was actually Saul's greatest asset. It was David that helped Saul save face against Goliath. When the giant is out there insulting God and the army and Saul is chilling in a tent somewhere, it's David that goes and saves Saul's kingdom. The beginning of the end was when Saul started playing the comparison game. And no one wins in the comparison game. The outcome is always pride or jealousy. Either way, you lose when you start comparing. Either proud because you're better, or you're jealous of what someone else has. But either result makes you a loser. And so we've been talking about learning to say, please to God, and leading with please, leading with blessing, leading with that idea that, you know, what can I do for you? It's not about my way, and it's not about your way. So there's got to be a way that's better. Well, what is the better way? Well, it's God's way. That's what Jesus was telling the disciples in Matthew 10. You go out and you do things my way. You're going to have everything you need. You don't need anything else. You go operate my way, and all of a sudden you're going to discover that you have a power, you have a strength in your life that will give you everything that you need and people will provide for you. It's going to be okay. Another way of looking at it, if it's not a win for you, it's not a win for me. How can you learn to live life at a higher level? How can you learn to live life in a higher way? Um, We always want to position ourselves, right? I mean, we learn a lot about leadership things. You you think about how do you get noticed. We, we, We want to be recognized. We want to have hits. We want to have likes. We want to have views. We want to be seen. We, we demand to be seen, and, and we evaluate our, our success based on that. We want the seat of honor. You know, we all want to ride shotgun. We never want to take the back seat. Um, and, 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 and so let me put it to you this way, and this will sound very strange to you, but see, when years ago, 30-some-odd years ago, um, I want to make a confession to you. And it's good. School's out. Not as many of us here might normally be here. It's that time of year in the summer. School's out. Way back when, when, we, when I was the lowly student minister at First Baptist Church of Longwood, and we started, at the time, Campus Community Church and Covenant Community Church, we started this journey that ultimately would lead us to the Church of 434. 
for years and years and years. And it still happens to this day, but for years and years and years. People called Covenant Jeff's Church. Yeah. When it was out of money, I called it Jeff's Church. Yeah, well... There were a lot of reasons for that now, I will say. But people would refer to it, not by the name of the church, but they would call it Jeff's Church. Now, as I said, this will be a confession. We have five minutes left. I've heard that for over 30 years. It ticked me off. I still. Huh? What? Should have been Michael's church or Leanne's church. No, it's Jeff's church. Yeah, yeah, that's Jeff's church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael and could be standing with me, and it would still be Jeff's church. Now, I mean, they, they, they're there from day one. Some of you were there from day one, you know? But it was always Jeff's church. And it ticked me off. It ticked me off then, ticks me off today. Eh, but I'm older now, so I don't get as mad about stuff. I always thought that when people called it that, it revealed a lot about the people who were saying it. Now, I know in those early days, some people said it because they hated me. I got that. I got that. And I was the bad guy, and I was an easy target. You know, quit nodding. And I was an easy target. Don't even that. This is an easy target. Um, but it always, always hacked me off. But it always, always hacks me off to this day when people refer to it that way. Or any church as being a pastor's church. And I got it. I mean, I understand, I understand the game, okay? I understand the rules of engagement here. I understand how we're playing this thing. I know what it's like. A church starts taking on the personality of the pastor. I got it. Church will take on the personality of the staff. If it's a working relationship, the church will run with that hub, and that hub keeps it humming, and it's good. You start taking pieces out of that. Every church I've ever been in, you start taking pieces out of it. It all does start to fall apart a little bit if you're not careful. I got it. Completely understand that. I've been a part of church staffs that fell apart like a tire blowing and things just start spiraling off and rubber flying off the road and the whole nine yards. And again, the best illustration of that was First Baptist Church of Longwood. I mean, when Jim Hammock was our pastor and I was a student minister and Rick Chafin was the minister of education and Preston Green was the minister of music, it worked. Love those guys. Miss those guys. When we were in that moment, in that season, it worked. Take one sprocket out of the wheel, and man, it started just rattling really quick. The sprocket was Jim Hammock. Once he was gone, my good friends, Preston and Rick, we didn't get as long as well anymore. We didn't. Jim was that guy that kind of kept all the... the Running together. Why? Well, because it makes sense. He was our boss. And so if I was mad at press, I would go talk to Jim about it. And Jim would tell me what I was wrong about. And he would defend press. And when press would go and complain to Jim about me, Jim would defend me and make press back down a little bit. When we complained about Rick, everybody picked on Rick. But we, we, did, we, did, we did what we needed to do. And, 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 and Jim was that guy. He was that cog in the wheel. It all worked that way. you know. And in some ways, I guess I fill that role sometimes. But it... It works for those seasons, but still, our church idea, I, I, am, I am a pastor who speaks to other pastors sometimes, and I, I want you to understand something. Uh, let me tell you about the church at 434. Sometimes I feel like it is my fourth child, okay? I mean, I, I live with the church at 434 every day of my life, and sometimes it does feel like it is my fourth child. Uh, blood, sweat, tears, you know? 
Uh, worst behaved? <laughs> Angst sometimes, you know, but again, it, but that's my, that's my commitment to do what I'm called to do here. But here's what I want you to understand. I also know that I've invested 30 years of my life into this journey called church, as you guys have. But I've never called it my church. I've never invited anybody to my church. I won't. I, I, I think every pastor everywhere in this city is an interim pastor. Because in every pastor, you find what is the under-shepherd of the church. Why? Because what Jesus said. Jesus said this. I, well, let me tell you, tell me, let me tell you what he didn't say. Jesus didn't say, I will build your church. He doesn't say that. He didn't say, you will build my church. Jesus, and I direct quote him, said, I will build my church. That's not a small thing. Jesus said, I will build my church. My role is I get to give what I can offer it. And I'll do the best I can with that because it's not mine. It never has been. See, being a giver and taker, that, that becomes the rudder that will determine your destiny. That determines who or what we worship. That determines what it is that we're going to be tomorrow. And if we don't get it right... We will miss the blessing of God on a journey. Next, we're going to wrap up. Um, and remind me, somebody in this room, remind me. We'll start with the story of Sidney Portier. Okay? Remind me of that. Somebody, who's going to do that? Sidney Portier. Sydney Portier. All right, Ryan. If, so if next week doesn't work, it's oh. all your fault. <laughs> Just saying right now, it's brother. You come, you be a giver, you give back to me what I need to know. If not, all your fault. All right, let's pray and let's be done. Uh, God, we thank you that you are a God who so freely gives to us so that we can freely give to others. Uh, I thank you for that privilege. Um, I I don't even begin to understand it completely. I just know we're supposed to do it. I'm not even sure how it works. I just know that you do, and that's enough. So we have what we need. And you call us to bless and to give. So if we're ever going to experience that joy and the abundant life that you have for us, (laughs) I think that's where it starts. And as God teaches us to do that, not just tonight, but every night, help us to be those kind of people in a world that... The world doesn't think that way. And they need people like us. And together we can change and shape our culture. Help us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.